Welcome to the Real Estate Investing Club. This is the place everyday real estate investors gather to share their best stories, biggest insights, and favorite tactics to grow a portfolio of cash-flowing properties in today's market. Here's your host, Gabe Peterson. All right. Welcome back to another episode of the Real Estate Investing Club. It is a sunny Friday here in Santa Rosa, California. Um, I have, as I mentioned in the last episode, I've moved down here for one month. And, uh, you know, Washington's great. It's nice and green up there, but you really cannot beat the sun. I absolutely love having sun, especially in January when uh, Washington, we don't know what sun is uh, during January. So it's a good day. And it's a good day for a second reason, because we have Josh Guggenheim with us from Goldleaf Farming. Josh will help us uh, understand a little bit more about a unique um, kind of specialty investing in farmland, which, uh, you know, is kind of all the rage in the headlines. You always hear about Bill Gates buying 10 billion, you know, acres of farmland. And so I'm sure this will be interesting. Josh, thank you very much for hopping on the show. Yeah, thanks very much for having me. All right. Um, I told you before we got on, you know, we hopped on um, that we like to start with stories uh, I'm sure you got a good one. So why don't you take us to the beginning of your story in real estate? How'd you get started? Hey, good, uh, good question. So I actually didn't, uh, haven't done real estate my whole career. I was actually more in uh, kind of the small business private equity side. Uh, first, I worked at a bank, Deutsche Bank. And then I worked as a private equity consultant and then was working uh, for a firm called Lightview Capital doing kind of lower middle market buyout. But on the side, I kept seeing people doing like quite well in real estate, uh, you know, through even through apartments or buildings and industrial and always was kind of interested in, wow, it seems like a lot of people I know who are in their 60s or 70s made, you know, a lot of money, you know, seven figure sums doing real estate, not even professionally. So I was always interested in it on the side and actually uh, took some money and bought a few apartments in actually Philadelphia of all places. Okay. And then bought a uh, another one in Sacramento just personally. Um, and really got into real estate. At that time, I was kind of looking for other opportunities and came across gold leaf and farmland investing. And that was interesting to me because farmland investing is really a mix of real estate or buying the real assets. But it's also got an operational component, too. You've got to manage a farm. You've got to manage a team. You've got customers. Um, it's more operationally intensive than, you know, just setting up a building and leasing it out to, to someone else. So essentially, I joined Goldleaf with the goal of, of working in farmland investing with the idea that farmland investing is really a mix of real estate and, you know, operating. Kind of my two interests, my two passions. Uh, so that's really how I got into it. It was more, you know, operating in the beginning, a side passion for real estate, and then combining the two with with gold leaf. So why, um, you know, there's a lot. There's most of real estate has an operational component. Um, the only one that doesn't is really just buying straight up land. And so, you know, ha having an interest in the operations that that doesn't that doesn't satisfy me enough um why specifically farmland because that is a very yeah, that's, you very... Know, that's a good point i would say the opportunity is pretty big so there are a lot of parallels i would say with farmland today of let's say like manufactured housing 20 mm -hmm. or 30 years ago 
or self-storage 20 or 30 years ago. Mm. If you look at U.S. farmland, it's a big asset class. It's like, you know, I think it's like two or three trillion in total. Um, you know, combine that with multifamily, which is like four or five billion. So relatively large, but it's only Wait, one. Sorry, or two. I'm going to pause you there. So farmland, you said is two to three trillion and in multifamily sorry, two, is, two, is four to five trillion. Excuse me. Interesting. So farmland is, uh, is, or multifamily is double what farmland is. Double farmland in office is about, I think two to three trillion. So farmland is about the same size as office. So huh. relatively large, albeit, uh, you know, let's say 40% less than, than multifamily, but pretty hmm. large. Okay. Interesting. Um, uh, and it, you know, it's only about 1% owned by investors. So there's a lot of opportunity out there. that's really mom and pop owned. And that's a little different, I would say, than self-storage or, or let's say, manufactured housing today, where there's a lot of investor interest in it. Mm-hmm. With more investor interest, you know, prices go up, processes get more competitive. There's less low-hanging fruit, if you will, to improve assets. Mm. Those still exist with, with farmland. Right. Um, so I would say, you know, if, if I had done this 15, 20 years ago, there would have been a lot of asset classes that are interesting, manufactured housing, um, maybe strip malls, various others. But those types of opportunities that existed in those asset classes 20 years ago exist today in, in farmland. Makes sense. Um, yeah, so farmland, I'm just kind of uh, scraping my head or, or scratching my head here because there's when I think of it as investing in real estate, um, I'm just curious how it actually goes down because there's a lot that you need to know about farming. I feel like about things that have nothing to do with real real estate in order to invest in farmland. So what, what are the, just take us through your investing strategy. What is it that you look for? Um, What are the returns you're looking for when you buy it? Are you leasing it out to a farmer or are you actually farming the land yourself by creating your own, you know, team? Um, Take us through the strategy. Yeah, good, good question. So we do at Goldleaf kind of two different strategies. One is we're buying existing farms and holding them for kind of 10, 15, 20 years, really focused on cash flow. Mm. That's probably 80% of what we do. 20% of what we do are developments Mm. where we're buying bare land and then creating a farm and then selling. Those tend to be shorter holds. But uh, in our core strategy, how it works is we'll see a farm for sale. And uh, the real goal is to generate, let's say, kind of 15% returns in total. 12% on average are driven by cash distributions. And then on the back end, there's 3 4% from appreciation. So it's a cash flow focused strategy. So if you think about, you know, which farms are going to generate, you know, good cash flow and be kind of secure, there's a few things that are important. Um, The first one is yield, actually, and that's literally crop per acre. So some farms, for example, do let's talk about almond farms for a second. They'll do 2000 pounds per acre. Some will do 2500. Some will do 3000. It's really important to focus on the ones that really yield higher, I would say, for two reasons. One, they generate more crop, but then also you end up having a much better cost uh, kind of cost curve. Mm. Every farm, let's say almond farms, every almond farm costs more or less the same to farm. So if you have one that, you know, let's say it's $3,000 per acre to farm, 
if you buy one that generates only 2,000 pounds, you'll have a $1.50 you know, cost of production. If you buy one that generates 3,000 pounds, you have a $1 cost of production. So your, your margins are just much, much better. So for us, a good farm is like high yield and low cost of production, good margins. And the second thing is water rates. Mm. So as you might actually know, in, uh, now down in, in Santa Rosa uh, versus Washington, uh, you know, Washington and other states like that have plenty of know, water. Let's say infinite <laughs> water, maybe too much water. That's why you're down here. California doesn't. California is broken down, however, into about 200 plus different water districts hmm. that each have different rights to rivers and waters and canals, reservoir storage, different groundwater situations. So for us, it's really important to target, let's say, the best third of water districts in the state hmm. because that water is more secure uh, and that water is more, I'd say, you know, more. it's actually cheaper too. And frankly, you know, we hear a lot about a drought in California. Uh, in the last two years, we've actually had excess water on our farms and we've sold it. Oh, so long story short is in addition to kind of the real estate angles, if you understand water and you understand kind of good cost of production farming and buying in the right areas, that's going to differentiate the great assets from just the OK ones. Mm hmm. Your last question was about operations. We do have an in-house team that does the farming on 90% of our properties. That's different. Uh, most farmland investors lease it out to third parties. Mm -hmm. We wanted to be a little bit more operationally hands-on. Uh, we think you know being operationally hands-on gives us a little more control, mm -hmm. but then it also helps us actually diligence the assets better because yeah. the person who's looking at the farm is an actual farmer agronomist not some guy in, you know, Wall Street or something looking at an Excel model. So, yeah, that makes sense. Um, the thing that I would uh, be most worried about, especially if I myself were looking at buying farms, is I know nothing about farming. And so um, I feel like it, it really comes down to very specific knowledge on like the type of crops that make sense. How do you even decide what... Uh, you know, what crop to be buying. Yeah, I'm assuming you guys yep. have to follow the markets in terms uh, from a crop by crop basis, you know, peanuts, almonds, uh, apples, what you name it. Yeah, so good, good question. So we have more of a concentrated philosophy where we only want to buy crops that are, um, I would say, we'll say supply constraints, so they can't grow everywhere in the world. Mm, so for example, okay. we would never buy wheat Citrus, or like that. That can grow in multiple states, multiple continents, you know, um, obviously a lot of the row crops are the, the same way. Um, we have, for example, we have one, we have multiple almond farms, 80% of the world's almonds come from California. The That's yields it. are the highest here. That. The cost of production is the best here. Huh. There's some pockets in like Portugal and Australia, but not, not that substantial. So we focus on almonds. We focus, we have a lot of pistachios. Pistachios only grow in California, Iran, and Turkey. Hmm. And the average yield in California is about two or three times better than Iran and Turkey, which unfortunately don't have good water resources. Hmm. Um, we have one wine farm and one medjool date farm. Okay. But I think our focus is really have a, you know, a concentrated focus on these crops that are supply constrained. And then more importantly, 
we only want to buy crops where the guys on our team actually have experience farming them. Every farm is, it, it is different. You can't really, if you're a good almond farmer, you can go farm wine grapes, but you won't be as good as someone who's been doing that for the last 10 or 20 years. So we're lucky that we are focused on these, you know, supply constrained crops, but also we've got the in-house talent. Um, we, this is a little different. There's some other folks out there, other investors that like to, I'd say, you know, invest a little bit in a lot of different crops. That is interesting from a, I would say, risk diversification perspective. You have less focus on the pricing of one crop or the yield variation of one crop versus another, but you lose the uh, kind of the macro angle and the expertise. So there are pros and cons, but we um, we focus on the former. Uh, and this might be my own, you know, naivety when it comes to farming, but I, I've only heard, uh, um, you know, crop-based farms. I haven't heard anything about cattle or anything like that. So you guys, you don't buy, um, you know, dairy farms? Yeah, no, uh, no livestock like for us. Although okay. uh, we do have one farm that had a cattle lease on it and we would be paid not in dollars, but actually in like one or two cows per year, which was pretty funny by some local local ranchers. But no, not not our thing. Um, maybe in the future, who knows? But no, no, uh, no livestock yet. Yeah, it's in uh, um, here in Santa Rosa. My uh, uh, Valerie, my my um, partner is uh, she's from here and their family. Um, when they were really young, they bought them cows and those cows. Have okay. Now, yeah. Same, similar. <laughs> continued to pay out because they keep, you know, having babies. And it's just, it's interesting uh, to think of, you know, that you know what question. to do for, for Christmas 2024, then that's good. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Um, cool. So uh, take a perspective of somebody who, you know, is just getting into real estate and they really like the idea of investing in farms. Um, what do they, how do they get into farm investing? What do they need to, what are the first few steps they need to take? Um, and then how much money do they actually need in order to, to get started? Yeah, good, good question. So uh, we have, I guess it's three funds now. One, they are funds, but you can look at them as actually more holding companies owning a bunch of different farms each. One of those is open. It's called Goldly Farming LP, where we're continuously taking in investments. Um, in a, a deal like that, you know, we'll take 50 or 100 grand into the fund. And if someone were to invest into the fund, they would get immediate exposure to all the you know, farms that we already already own. Um, and then as we grow, we'll we'll uh, you know add farms to that to that entity and they get exposure to those. That's one way folks could do it. Another way, uh, there are some platforms online that allow people to kind of pick specific farms here and there. Um, like Acre Trader would be one. That's another another way people could do it. They have a little bit of a different model. But if um, you know folks are interested in kind of the gold leaf, you know, uh, you know, holding company approach. The best way to do it is just to you know find us online at goldleaf.ag and, and reach out. And we um, we have some larger family offices. We have some larger RAs, but we also have uh, you know smaller individuals in the fund too. So it's a you know with a relatively small amount of money, you can get exposure. That makes sense. Um, and I'm assuming you would not recommend this strategy for someone to go buy their own farm. Um, 
I would, yeah, I would not. It's, uh, it's pretty, if they have great farming expertise and they love being out there, they should definitely go for it. Uh, if they don't, then, uh, I wouldn't, wouldn't recommend it. It's a, uh, like tricky business, I would say in relationships are pretty important. So I would not want to be someone focused on, on out in out of state, buy their own farm in a different state and then have someone they've never met manage it. There's a lot of opportunity for, for air there. Um, I'd go with more of a professional uh, management fee and make us make us work for for our fees, if you will. <laughs> Makes sense. All right, man. That wraps up the uh, the initial section. It's time to jump into the quick question round. Are you ready? Perfect. Yep. Let's do it. Starts with education. I need two recommendations. Um, it could be a book. It could be a movie. It could be a YouTube channel. Whatever. Just give me two of them. One for general life wisdom, and then one for real estate specific. Interesting. Okay. I would say uh, this could actually be a book for, for both of them. Uh, Am I Being Too Subtle by Sam Zell is pretty yeah. excellent, actually. Mobile uh, obviously, you know, Sam Zell, Equity Group, huge real estate investor, huge business guy. Interesting book, uh, highly recommended, and has a lot of life lessons, too. Cool. It's a good one. Um, I actually, I meant to, we, uh, I own a couple of mobile home RV parks. Um, okay. I'm under contract to buy another one here soon. And uh, I've never read Great. that book, but I've wanted to because you know he did Sun um, Sun Communities, and you know they own. I think he made most of his money in in mobile home parks, and I'm sure he has some interesting interesting stories. Yeah, and I mean the the one of the core messages is his dad told him he's basically an idiot or not focused on the right things. If you're because he was on, you know, the dad was only focused on Chicago, very fancy Class A real estate. And Sam Zell said, no, I want to do student housing and I want to do mobile home. It doesn't make sense to buy class A if you're getting it at a four cap when I can buy this other stuff at a 12 cap. Yeah. And the dad said, no, 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 that's not what we do. And he said, no, that is what I'm going to do. And sure enough, 40 years later and X billion later, he made made the right choice. So sure that's, you, that's right. <laughs> All right. Next question is for your younger self. So let's go back to the Josh um, who was just getting started so many years ago. Go back to him, look him in the eye, give him one piece of advice moving forward. Uh, I would say that the don't underestimate the power of personal connections. In a, in a young, in college and high school, you're always focused on academic work. And the older I get, the more I realize that the academic strengths need to be there. But the people who really get ahead have excellent personal relationships and value uh i would say emotional intelligence just as much as academic intelligence yep absolutely all right next question is uh an interesting one for you because it is about the us there's a lot of opportunity out there um big place give me the single metro or the single area i guess for you that you're most excited about investing in today you know for us we're we we do a lot in the central valley i would say um that's California, right? In California, Central Valley, California. Uh, I think Bakersfield is actually a pretty interesting city. It's a city that, frankly, didn't have a great reputation in some circles, but is... Yeah, I've uh, Val's family kind of talks shit about Bakersfield. Right. <laughs> it doesn't have a lot, you know, didn't have a lot of opportunity. I mean, that's frankly a good thing because people in LA or San Francisco would be like, oh, Bakersfield isn't great, but it's actually a very business-friendly opportunity it's emerging as kind of a logistics hub mm. and Southern California has gotten so expensive in the past 
let's say, five years with housing. I think it's going to continue to see a lot of people moving from L.A., Inland Empire, San Diego, people who frankly got outpriced of those areas to Bakersfield. Uh, so that would be kind of a, I would say, a contrarian metro, maybe less sexy than Austin or Nashville or something that you hear on this. But I'm, uh, I like investing in these areas where, you know, the relative value is really high compared to the other closest metro. Yeah. Well, yeah, I mean, once the market's hot, then uh, it's no longer <laughs> a good deal. Um, so you yep. got to find these metros that, you know, people aren't flocking to. All right. Next question is. Uh, lost my spot. What is the next question? Oh, it's about finding deals. Um, it all starts with getting in contact with the seller, uh, hammering out that purchase agreement. So what is your favorite way to uh, generate leads and find good deals? Yeah, good, good point. So we, uh, we have a ton of brokers that we work with. Hmm. And I mean, that it's not very, not very sexy to say it, but Maybe I would say my, my sense is that uh, a lot of potential buyers to brokers are extremely unprofessional. Mm. So if you you can work with brokers, and this is really the case in farmland too, and I would say in the small, like the more more niche the asset space, the more unprofessional many buyers are. So if you can differentiate yourself as a true professional buyer, pick up your phone, email back within two days, ask smart questions, not create a bunch of extra work. You can really, you'd be surprised how far that, that, uh, that goes in regards to, uh, brokers. And it might not work on the first deal that you see with them, but the next time they, uh, have something on their book, they're, they're going to reach out to you first. So you don't go. underestimate how far professionalism goes with, with brokers. Yep. And that goes back to relationships at all. Uh, it all comes right. back to yep. relationships, especially in real estate. Um, and that leads us to the second to last question. This is about lessons learned. Uh, not every deal we do goes the way we expect it to. A lot of times things go sideways, but in those opportunities are uh, some good lessons that we learn and we can bring on to the next deal. So what was a deal that went a little bit sideways for you and what was the lesson you pulled from it? Yeah, good, good question. Uh, I would say, hmm. I think early on, we had a couple pistachio deals, actually. And let's say the pistachios were yielding at 2,500 pounds per acre, which is not that great. And we brought in a bunch of advisors. And we they said, oh, I'm sure these pistachios can do 3,000 or 3,500 pounds per acre, even though the historical average of the farm was only 2,000 or 2,500. So we did all the underwriting and said, oh, we're going to price this thing, assuming it can get 3,000 or 3,500 pounds. We'd made the deal. We closed on it. And since closing on that, the yields have never gotten to 3,000 or 3,500 pounds. We've done the best we can with farming. Uh, it's an okay farm, but it's not not great. It's underperformed what, we, what we'd hoped. So the lesson there is, I would say, be very cautious in regards to uh, paying for underwritten operational improvement like you could do a little bit here or there but something really substantial um it's really easy to get yourself you hear a lot of investors out there saying oh yeah the past seller was no good uh we can improve this there's all this easy stuff to do and uh that stuff does exist but it's uh sometimes it just doesn't <laughs> doesn't exist and don't convince yourself around how easy operational improvement is and don't don't pay up for it yeah 
Yeah, I think that's really good advice, especially, well, I mean, it doesn't even, it's not even specific to farming. It's to every, everything you do in real estate. Oh yeah. I mean, every broker is going to tell you, oh, you're going to double rents within the first <laughs> six months. And it, I rarely see it. So Lesson one, <laughs> never listen to pro formas. Yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah. Um, it's so easy to get kind of caught up in a hype train when you're underwriting a property and you're like, oh, this could reach reach the moon. You could uh, Absolutely. double the rents, <laughs> but you really, you got to be conservative. You got to understand that uh, a lot of times there are, uh, there are things in play, especially when it comes to the market that you really cannot change. Um, and, uh, and even if you want to, you know, get a hundred percent occupancy, you're not going to get there. So, yeah, uh, no, and I find it's, uh, it can be a slippery slope. We're pretty good at checking ourselves and we have a full team, but if you adjust one assumption, then another, then another, then another, and pretty soon you're, you're out of whack. So be, be conservative. Yep, absolutely. All right. That leads us to the final question. This is for the listeners. Um, you've given us a lot to think about. I'm sure people want to reach out, get in contact with you, learn a little bit more about what you guys do over there at Goldleaf. Um, so what is the best way for people to reach out and get in contact? Uh, yeah, so the best way to reach out is email. So it's josh at goldleaf.ag, or you can go to our new beautiful website with great videos of our founders, goldleaf.ag. Again, it's Goldleaf Farming. And it just shoot us an email. We're happy to make time with anyone. And if it's a small check, that's great. If it's bigger, also great. Um, but also I'd say, if you're interested in farmland eventually, but not this moment, that's okay too. We should set up a call. And I'd say in general with these real estate, any investment, when you get it, take some take some time to think about it. Don't uh, Sometimes there's pressure in your inbox. And when we have our investors, we generally like to talk to them, get to know them for a couple months. And then when the time is right, do it. Um, rushing doesn't work for, for either. So if you're interested, reach out to us and we'll we'll explain more. There you go. And you guys should uh, check out their website just to see the website because it is definitely beautiful. Whoever did this website, <laughs> you guys, um, yeah, yeah, you know, kudos to them. They did a great job. All right. Uh, so that wraps it up, Josh. Thank you very much for hopping on the show. Awesome. Well, no, thanks. Uh, thanks very much. And I've uh, done a few of these, but actually like the pro- the questions were much, much better with yours than, than most of them. So I pre- appreciate it. Awesome. Yeah. Appreciate that. Um, for everybody who's here with us today, thank you guys for showing up. You are the reason we do this. So if you guys have any questions whatsoever, reach out to me, Gabe with realestateinvestingclub.com. Uh, if you guys want to support the show, all we ask, give us a like, subscribe, share all that jazz. Other than that, I hope you have a great week. Keep rocking real estate. And I look forward to seeing you on the next episode. All right. Before I officially sign off, I have a quick announcement to make. If you're interested in becoming a passive investor in one of my deals, my own company, Kaizen Properties, is looking for capital partners for our upcoming projects. We invest in what are known as recession-resistant assets, mainly self-storage facilities, mobile home and RV parks, and industrial properties. If you're interested in investing and would like to learn a little bit more about my company, our investing criteria, and some of the previous projects we've done, Go to the Real Estate Investing Club podcast at therealestateinvestingclub.com and scroll all the way down to the bottom of the page. Click on the Invest With Us button. That'll pop up the investor form. Fill that out and we will reach back out to you as soon as we can. Or if you prefer a little bit more of a personal touch, you can reach out to me at gabe at therealestateinvestingclub.com. So really, that is it. Again, it was a pleasure hanging out with you guys during this episode, and I look forward to seeing you on the next episode.